Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, The Flash. Each episode, I bring on a different business leader who's doing game-changing work. And this episode, I am so excited to have Erica Riggs, who is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Omnicom uh, Specialty Marketing Group. Uh, she is a trailblazer, game-changer, and so much more. It'll be a fantastic conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Erica. Hey, Laura. How's it going? Well, you know, it's been a long day. It's been a productive <laughs> day. As we put our capes on, I don't know. I, I'm still, I still have my cape on right now. So until that comes off, it's still my day. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be ending the day talking to one of my favorite people. Oh, thanks, Erica. I'm, I'm <laughs> same here. So the way the podcast always works is the first question is always the same. So, Erica, what was your first job? Hmm. I've had so many jobs, but I would have to I would have to say that my first job was a cleaning service that I started with my sister and our um, client was my father's office. And he would take us on Saturdays. And we really did clean. I mean, we, he taught us how to clean, um, you know, just like as if we were a cleaning service. We got paid for it. We learned how back then, old school, we had, you know, a little ledger. Uh, so I'd have to know how to put my money a little bit here, a little bit in savings. And, you know, the rest was ours to do whatever we needed to do. Awesome. Yeah. And so what did you learn from that experience? Well, one of the things that I, I knew early on was I didn't want a cleaning business. I did not want that to be, and I, and I no disrespect, because my grandmother, both of my grandmothers um, were cleaning women. That's how they raised their kids. Um, but I knew I didn't want that um, aspect of it. What I loved about it was the business side of it, which was I would go in, and back then we're talking, I don't, I don't want to tell you how, how long ago that was, but I love the whole office. I love, you know, uh, looking at my father's chair, knowing that he had some modicum of power and, you know, was making decisions. And I wanted to be in that world. I love the conference room and I've always been eyeing the boardroom. So I think that's what I learned. I learned what I didn't want and I learned what to aspire to. And and I think inadvertently, um, my father did that in a way that um, was a soft, kind of a soft, not knock on the head, you should be some, this, you know what I mean? It was very mm-hmm. unconscious. It was a very unconscious kind of uh, brainwashing, if you will. Oh, I, I totally understand that one. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, okay, to go from that job to where you are now, what's that career journey been like? Laura, you would not believe me when I tell you how many journeys I have had. 
a few most most people i was speaking to cindy gallup once and she said you've got to tell the story you got to tell your journey you've got to get this out and um so in a in a 30 is what they call the 32nd new york new york minute um, (laughs) i i have had i'll just give you a little bit of what i've done i was a singing dancing waitress I was a a, um, pepper shaker in a, what they call a walking feast. I was a Santa Claus on Capitol Hill passing out lumps of coal. I sampled Sambuca. No, not Sambuca. Kombucha, kombucha, yes. I was a sampler of kombucha at um, Whole Foods. Um, But I also did all of these things when I was going to school. Um, and after I started to see people, oh my God, that's, that's, you know, why are you doing all these things? But they were all very interesting because being a walking pepper shaker, it was like a silver um, dress with a hoop on the bottom. Um, <laughs> I had the hat which was the top, right? So I was all silvered up with this little, you know, the pepper shaker top um, hat and a dress that poofed out like a, like a hoop, you know, it was, it was fun. And what was fun about it was I got to meet the people who actually thought of that craziness and who even developed the uh, moving feast and they were event planners. And I didn't even realize that that was an option. And I've always been a very creative person. Um, and I think that was very difficult. When I went away to go to school, I went to Howard University. And when I got there, not only was I overwhelmed because of the placement, it was in the inner city. And I'm, I'm a girl from Dallas, I'm from Texas. I spent my summers uh, running barefoot in the country down in Emory, uh, not far from, you know, if, if anybody likes Chip and Joanna Gaines, um, not far from them, Canton and all those places. And so, and then growing up in the suburbs. So when I got to Howard in in the eighties, there was, we were right in the heart, the heart and the height of the crack epidemic or it was just starting. And so there was so much that just disturbed my peace. I loved the people that I was meeting. and, um, And I think when you are in situations like that, um, you have to be really mature and you have to be focused. And because I didn't have one particular focus, it left me very susceptible to being, um, I would say, uh, very attention deficit, right? And without that focus, because, and when you go to college, they say, well, what do you want to do? I never knew one thing that I wanted to do. I couldn't articulate what that was. I wanted to be in their film program. I wanted to be in in marketing because that's where my father was in. But I I just never figured that out while I was there. So I took a gap (laughs) decade before entering school again. A gap decade, um, wow. I took a gap two decades, to be honest. And I worked my way backwards. So what I started, I knew because of my family that I couldn't just stay at home. And I was watching television and they, it was a, um, at that time, you know, hairstyling was a big thing. So that's what I did. I went to hair school. 
and I became a very successful hairstylist. I loved anything that could possibly have a business component, an entrepreneurial business component to it. So I like that idea of becoming my own boss and being creative, um, always having loved doing makeup and hair. I've always dressed up. I'm, I'm the middle child of three girls. And because we moved around a lot of different cities, um, our, we were best friends with one another. And my mother was always a fly girl. So that was easy for me and um, had a great job, had a great experience doing that. Actually rode that wave. It got me to New York. I was doing hair for um, a lot of the um, essence, um, you know, um, they would always have an essence, you know, hair style of the month or tip. And I started becoming a part of what that was at that time, which was a glam squad there. And while I was there, um, one of my friends couldn't uh, do the hair for Mary J. Blige and called me up and asked me if I wanted to do her hair because at that time she was wearing finger waves and I was wearing <laughs> So she asked me if I would just come and do the finger waves for her, set the finger waves and then go. And I was like, sure. And I really wasn't even expecting to get paid. I was still thinking, you know, um, hair salon prices. And she said, I'll give you, what's your day rate? I was like, day rate? Uh, I don't know, $125, you know? She's like, no, you're on set. Your day rate should be like $1,500. When I heard I could get $1,500 a day doing that, then that was a game changer. And before I knew it, I was doing pretty much um, a lot of artists, I was helping to develop new artists that people were bringing um, up to New York and trying to get signed. And once they got signed, so I got a position with Andre Harrell at um, Uptown Records. And that kind of really put me on a pathway of really now starting to see myself as not just having a job or a number of jobs, but I started to look at myself as having a career and went from uptown to Motown. I was doing director, I was director of video promotions, and then I ended up becoming a product manager. And then um, Napster happened. And um, what also happened was Black, we were, we had all these Black um, music uh, divisions. And once Napster happened and the proliferation of uh, companies starting to then consolidate, that's when all, not only were the music industry, um, the music companies consolidating, but so were advertising um, agencies and everything started to change. And when that happens, um, then everything is about the bottom line. Everything is about how can we be more efficient do we really need this black division uh, or can we just take the top, um, you know, the rock stars from that company and fold them into general market, right? And make it pop. And so now all of a sudden um, that which was R&B is now starting to sound more mm, pop-like, okay? So you'll notice there's a whole wave of things that start to happen in the late 80s, 90s. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh and that was because corp the corporatizing of America 
had taken a hold of all of the industries and really the, the uh, creative industries and started to uh, really just make everything now seem, we call it a uh, sexy bought, sexy cool, all of those things, terms um, started to become things that people were trademarking. Um, they would look at a you know young kid in Harlem. Oh, okay, that's a cool look. So you know, uh, fashion. Everything now is you know we can let's take how the kid up in Harlem is wearing his shoes and let's you know duplicate that. Next thing you know, it's over in Hong Kong and it's you know. So our culture became commodified. Commodity is that a word? <laughs> it became a commodity. Yeah, of course. And it became a commodity without us benefiting. So I left Motown and went to, up, um, excuse me, Uniworld Group because I met a wonderful woman while I was at Motown named Valerie Graves. And Valerie and I had a lot of things in common. And when she left and went to become the chief creative officer of Uniworld, I was really like, like I knew I saw the handwriting on the wall that the industry was changing and I needed to um, get to my next, I needed to swing to the next vine. And I landed at Uniworld. And um, I will have to tell you that Valerie Graves has prepared me um, and sponsored me and mentored me in such a way that there were days and times and years even that I didn't see myself at any point in my life being here where I am today um, in terms of just not really knowing that those were things that were even um, viable opportunities. And she would definitely help to untangle some of those um, the way a good mentor and a good sponsor should. Oftentimes it wasn't about what I had done. It was about her seeing the potential. And so I left, um, started a family, uh, left New York for over 14 years um, and decided that, you know, let me go back to school. Okay. So I did all of that before going back to school. So when I, I hear Drake sing his song, I started from the bottom, now I'm here. I think about myself because at that point, I'm now with a child. I have all of my experience has been in entertainment and advertising in New York, but now I'm in Virginia. None of those are transferable skills that mean a hill of beans in the Washington, D.C. area, which is government, you know, very much a government town. Um, and I just knew that I didn't want any doors to ever be closed because I knew I wanted to, if nothing else, having a kid really kind of focuses It focuses um, your steps and it orders your steps. If you're, if you're really, really, you know, I, I would have to say I've been um, blessed to have two um, professional parents who have always been, um, they expect, you know, they're Southern Black Americans who went to school and and went to college and had expectations of their kids. And so it was never comfortable just not doing anything. That wasn't even an option. So with that being said, um, I went back to school. And I, um, while I was in school, I started to meet other young people who reminded me of who I was when I first started school. 
didn't really know what was available to them. And I started to give them advice on different careers that I felt fit their personalities and their persons and uh, their skills. And before I knew it, I had a lot of people constantly coming to me and asking me questions. And um, I ran for student government president uh, when I was 39 or maybe, wow. I think I may have been 40. I don't know. It was something like that because my sister used to laugh. She used to call me a uh, stu- uh, student lady. <laughs> um, but that what that did was that allowed me to meet um, all of the, uh, the provost and the president of the university and get, again, one thing that I can always do, and that is I know in order to be to get to the next level, I have to get to a platform where people can hear me and see me. And in doing so, met the president of Northern Virginia Community College, who had just put together a program called Pathway to the Baccalaureate, which was helping kids from under, um, underrepresented populations and families where maybe the parents had never gone to school or had a little bit of school. And it was a pilot program at the time and they needed support. And I came in as an assistant. But because so many of those stories and so many of those kids reminded me of me, I became a career counselor in a way that I ended up getting my own program called uh, Pathway. Um, It was what we called it PAC. And um, it was a Pathway Advisory Committee. But through those, you know, working with those students and then going ahead and finishing um, school, I started to see and understand how to create curriculums and uh, programs and look at the, uh, the money that was out there and really saw myself as now, wow, I'm in another career. I'm creating programs to help um, these different communities and industries get some very young amazing talent. And so the students loved me. I loved them. I created so many programs that um, helped those students to get to. Now we have students that are, you know, uh, as a matter of fact, my daughter's physical therapist. She was one of my students, you know, so it was an amazing experience, but I knew after 10 years, I was ready. I go to Miami for the American Black Film Festival, which I'd also worked um, on while I was at Uniworld. And who's there? Valerie. Valerie's there because her nephew is a filmmaker and she says, let's get breakfast. So we meet in Miami and our breakfast turns to lunch, turns to dinner. And she says, you know, I think, would you be really, would you be ready to come? Would you be willing to come to New York? Because, um, you know, the Ad Club of New York, you know, I've been a, a volunteer and a board member there for many years and they're looking for someone to do this, you know, this DNI work. And honestly, I didn't know what she was talking about, but I just knew I had to make my next move. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I was at this point now confident enough that whatever it was, if it was dealing with programs they had started, she was, she was talking about a fellowship program um, that had just begun and so forth and so on. And so I said, sure. And so she in, introduced me to Gina. I went up to New York, um, 
Gina offered me the position on the spot. I didn't leave her office without the position. And what was interesting wow. was, uh-huh, what was interesting, now that's because I think, I think two things. I think Valerie being the respected person that she is, had a lot, really offered a lot of weight. But I also put together um, a presentation. You know, um, I had no job. At that point, I had no job description, but um, Valerie had armed me with the program that she was taught, you know, the, the fellowship program and so forth. And I, I said, well, that's transferable to what I've been doing. This is what I've been doing for the last 10 years is creating programs. You know, I know not only how to fund them, but I know how to run them. And I left that day and um, she called me uh, the next day and she was like, oh, I was so excited. I forgot to invite you, uh, introduce you to the rest of the team. And I didn't know really what that meant. But now I'm in, I'm in back in Virginia. And I'm like, okay, well, when do you want me to come back? And she's like, well, could you come back on, I'll say Wednesday. And it was Monday. And I said, okay. So I hopped back up to New York on my own dime. And I was, uh, I had to meet with the whole, the whole group. Now, I had not really had a whole lot of um, experience interviewing. So I wasn't really sure if I was being interviewed or if that, <laughs> yeah, I was like, I wasn't sure, but I literally met everybody that day. And then I went back home and she uh, reached out and said, you know, well, everyone likes you, but you know, you live in New you live in Virginia and you know, the job is here. And I said, well, I'm, I'm gonna move. I would move, absolutely, I would move. And so after maybe two or three weeks of, of that, I finally got the position, I got the offer and I moved to New York in 2016. And I basically got to the Ad Club of New York and advertising, from whence I remember, had changed. When we were at Uniworld, everything was in-house. We had media, we had production, we had um, basically everything was inside of one agency, right? And now I come back and you've got media companies separate from the agency world, you know, you have all these different things, but I had to run fast. I hit the ground running. I met a lot of people. Sandra Sims uh, Williams is on the board there. I was supported by her. I was supported by so many people um, that when I finally got my sea legs, there was no stopping me because I've, I, at that time and still until COVID, I was going back and forth between Tuesday and Friday, I was there at the, at the ad club. And then I would get on a bus or a train or a car or whatever was moving uh, and go back home to Virginia. And I did that for four years. And what I'm most proud about is the fact that I not only taught myself that you don't necessarily have to have all of you don't need to check all the boxes on a job description but you definitely have to have the curiosity the tenacity and 
be able to learn and be able to be open to learning and run fast. And that's what I did. And I really feel like, you know, I, I made an impact. I know that the program now is in its fifth year. That's the I'm part fellowship program. But I also, you know, changed the way our internship was being um, run in terms of it wasn't, it wasn't placing enough BIPOC. And I don't like that term BIPOC. So I'm going to break that down. It wasn't placing enough black and brown people, kids, students into the um, advertising um, internships that were available to them. So I basically started to recognize um, that we needed to do a masked, you know, take the name off, take the GPA off, take the, the school off um, before we send out some of these, um, you know, these applications and try and get them placed. And so that also became um, a, a, a program where I'm proud to say we started to have over 65% engagement there. Um, whereas when I came in, it may, it may on a good day have been 20, 20% maybe um, black and brown wow. kids. Mm -hmm. um, what else? I also made sure that the HBCU um, became a central theme. Uh, you know, I was educating the ad club on culture and um, things outside. You know, one of the things I find as a Black person working is oftentimes your job doesn't end at five o'clock and you go home. We have, let's see, today, Laura, I've seen you possibly on two things. I've seen you either <laughs> sit on a panel or I've seen you as a part of the We All Rise, you know. Um, so a lot of our work is done in the community. You know, there's a lot of community development that we have to do. There's a lot of um, networking that we have to do amongst one another um, outside of that nine to five that a lot of my white counterparts do, don't do. They go home to their kids, they go to the gym, because um, they're, I don't know if, I don't know if that's because they feel like, you know, everything is going to be okay. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and they do their job and they go home or, you know, uh, why that is the way that it is. I don't think we have enough time on this call to discuss <laughs> that because I think that's a whole nother subject. But it is, it's the truth. So, you know, um, I would spend so much my time, I, I would go home probably about by midnight, most nights, you know, cause I had gone out and supported and been at all these different programs and places and faces and, you know, I felt like a politician in a way. But um, yeah, so that led me, that propelled me, that elevated me, the ad club, you know, elevated me because I was meeting so many different people and working with so many different programs through that, that, um, you know, unfortunately COVID hit and um, the world responded by, you know, really looking to put legs to some of the diversity um, commitments that, the, that they had made. And so I will be, I'll tell you, I'm really happy to have landed um, at 
exactly where I am at Omnicom and more specifically at the Omnicom Specialty Marketing Group. Our CEO is a young African-American man by the name of Stacy Hightower. Um, we have representation. Um, we have, you know, Tiffany R. Warren was there. And before leaving and probably 10 years in the making, um, had created a program along with her, um, her team that now basically has turned into our framework. It's the Open 2.0 um, action plan. And there are 20 something champions that are in all of these different companies throughout the Omnicom network. We come together. So we're collaborating the brain trust um, alone in some of those meetings is it to be in awe of the brilliance that so many of these practitioners are bringing to the table. And I'm very hopeful, very excited to see what, uh, not the future, but the near future becomes reimagined under uh, the guise of Emily Graham, who I find to be a fantastic young um, woman and leader. So I don't know what else to tell you. That was, that was my journey. That was a journey. <laughs> that, 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 I mean, there's so much there, my goodness. Indeed. Um, and, but it's also the story of perseverance and find, making your way when people don't see a way. And the thing that you're leaving out is that, you know, one of the things that you were um, responsible for was the ad clubs, icons, Innovators and Rockstars Awards um, program. Icons, it's, icons, Rockstars and Innovators. Yeah, I, I, I'm just like to do it backwards. Which, you know, really is an incredible awards um, ceremony and gala and recognition for the people who've been doing the damn thing for years. And yeah. um, last year, when we, when we, right before you know, the world shut down, there was a live. Um, awards and it was just it was such a wonderful like family reunion seeing so many great folks who've been at it for years and getting that recognition and now full disclosure i have won this year i'm a rock star <laughs> <laughs> well you know um, what laura it's funny that you do bring that up because I, it was created icons rock stars and innovators was created because when i got there when i was talking about you know educating the, the community there, um, I will have to say that the Ad Club was really open. Gina Grillo, the president and CEO, she was open to a lot of things that I, I would bring to the table. And one of the things that I saw was a very, you know, it, it was a disparate amount of people on that jury for the Andes International Awards. And I asked, why is that? And I was, you know, somewhat met with the, that excuse that we hear so often because a lot of um, color doesn't exist in the executive levels. And that's who they tend to invite to be jurors. Your you know, executive creative directors, your CCOs. And I knew that that might be true in terms of a whole lot not existing, but I knew people. I knew Dabo Che. I knew Danny Robinson. I knew um, uh, 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 Shannon Washington. I knew these people, you know, because like I said, being out there working, um, and, you know, and, and meeting. So 
the first year it was about the creative. And then I started to see and meet people like yourself, content creators, um, Kai Lawson, um, Love Malone, um, Judy Jackson, Monique Nelson, Mark Strachan. Like, are you kidding me? Why are mm -hmm. we acting like brilliance? Not to mention, I was never under the impression that we don't exist because all my life I've been surrounded by black excellence. I went to Howard University. Hello. Um, so I didn't even understand, not to say that only Howard has excellence, but we are pretty excellent. Um, <laughs> um, so I wanted to show everyone that here we are. So let's elevate us. And so that's how the first year it was just icons and rock stars. And Valerie said, you should also make it innovators. And I was like, yes, because we got a wall to gear. Where do you put a wall to gear? Someone who's got six patents. You know, where do you put a Melvin Wilson? Um, you know, where do you put a uh, 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 Love Malone with the gradient? They're innovators. So um, that walking and changing directions and going into a new company, I did have to leave behind some wonderful properties, but I look at it as not leaving them behind, but I, leave, I, I planted the seeds. They are growing. I'm so happy that they selected and were able to see you because Laura, you do a whole lot. And I have to thank you. I wanna thank you on your show because when I was going, you went through this with me. I didn't <laughs> get that job by myself. Um, I had people like you and Kai and Veronica Appleton who looked at the things, you know, oversaw some of, revamped, um, elevated, got on the telephone. You are my sponsor. And for that, I will be forever grateful um, that you even saw the value to be able to do that because we recognize that not everybody gets that treatment, you know, and I recognize it for sure. And when I do get, you know, help, when people do help me, um, I am really gracious and grateful for the, everything that you have done. And I look to be able to find those times when I can support you as well. Cause I think that's really what this is all about. Oh, well, thank you for saying that, Erica. Um, well, I think it's important to, to support each other. And I was blown away by um, seeing uh, the awards last year. And I was like, how is Erica and I have not met yet? We need to be friends. <laughs> and, so I, <laughs> uh, and so I set about making that happen. But I think it's important. I think it kind of goes into a really important part about why this series is so necessary and what I've heard from a lot of folks who've been listening and chatting about it is that one, we have to see each other, two, we have to lift each other up, and three, we've got to back each other up. And mm. I'm hopeful with this series that folks can see that like we're in all different kinds of places and they're not alone. And you can reach out to people who want to help. And there isn't a thing about it being transactional. It's just that, you know, rising, bo rising boats rise together. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you don't want, you want to help as many people as you can along this way because th th this journey is just not easy. And so I think hopefully folks get that clue um, as a result of um, these awesome conversations I've had an opportunity to have over the past month. 
Uh, thank you for having them because it's a lot of work. Um, and for you <laughs> oh to, my God. yeah. So, so for you to commit to it, and it's not like you know you're getting paid to do it, but you are. It's called karma. Your karma points are so high right now. Um, you're, <laughs> oh, I you're, know. You're, I have noticed. Your <laughs> your vibe is out here, you know, um, emanating through space, and I really you know, without sounding like a hippie, which is okay with me too. I'm a blurred hippie. I'm a whole lot of things. Um, I believe in vibes and I believe you get absolute, as a matter of fact, I don't just believe it, but I'm a member of the vibe club because I personally have uh, benefited and, um, and I've also been, and I've also seen what happens when you don't vibe high. And mm -hmm. what could possibly be, you know, the outcome of that? And I don't like that. I'll be honest with you. I'm a bit too bougie to do it any other way. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think uh, it's the energy that you vibe with someone, either good or bad. And I think my superpower has always been to be able to tell within about 10 seconds whether somebody's going to be good or bad. Um, and... I think that has come in mighty handy over the course of my career and my relationships wherever I go. And I think it's it's funny because a lot of the folks who have been on this um, series have, are people I don't know. Actually, most people are folks I don't know. And it's like the universe is sending me only good vibes along the way in terms of folks I'm getting to interview. So I, I would agree with you on that. And you know, it's interesting because when you think about it and how you get to where we are right now and all the kind of wacky ups and downs you might have, what do you think you'd tell 25 year old Erica? 25 year old Erica. Let me think about 25 year. Cause 25 year old Erica was having so much fun. I, <laughs> even if I told her, I don't know. I think what I would have said to her was you can have it all meaning you can have the interesting, the fun, the journey, the job, the career. Mm, but actually, I'll take that back. What would Erica tell the 25-year-old? Um, keep doing it. Keep going for it. Keep being you. That's what I would tell her. Yep. Don't change a thing. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> don't change a thing because if I did so much of what I do is a part of that testimony is a part of my own personal testimony um my daughter often will tell me uh she'll try and come in and oh my oh mom I I did this you know this this uh, and I'm like listen stop trying to die every day don't let life beat you down don't let these small things continuously be so huge that it is always a, 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 a problem or you just, you gotta believe me when I tell you, but more importantly, you gotta start having an internal dialogue. You've gotta choose happy. You've gotta choose success. You've gotta choose to get over it. These are choices. It's not by... Uh, you just can't go through life unconsciously aware of what you're manifesting, right? So she'll, you know, oh, you, 
you don't care. You always say that. And I'm like, if I could just give you one of my journeys and tell you how I've been able to make it, then you should believe me. Because I have had to go through a lot to get to where I am. I love it. That's a great one. Um, It's not because, you know, like the journey is a journey and you can't change any of it. You just kind of got to go through and put one foot in front of the other. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspace is to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK. And they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location feel safe. I've you know, been able to meet some really awesome people, which haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re- record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. So navigating all of this, going through COVID, what in the world are you doing for your self-care? Mm. Well, one one wonderful uh, outcome has been I've been able to not be on the road. I've been able to spend time with my daughter um, at a very formidable time in her life as, as a junior in high school. Someone who's you know she's she's driving, she's dating, you know. Um, so being a part of her life and not being torn and having to hit that five uh, three thirty a.m. train Amtrak from D.C to New York, that is a blessing that I'm so, and she's so much fun and she's happy. Um, So she is like really, and I get to spend time with my sister who's also a business um, um, owner and fun. And uh, you know, my parents who have, you know, they're 82. Um, So our family, has gotten together and I'm a part of it, I'm present. And uh, so I will say self-care is the love um, that I'm receiving with, you know, with my family. And then there are things that I like to do. Like I am a HGTV fanatic. Same. And- <laughs> <laughs> I've seen your tweets, <laughs> Okay, did you hear about Ina Gardner today? I think what Ina Gardner needs a black friend, okay? Because I've been watching I want to drink with her. I want to okay. drink with Ina Gardner so bad. <laughs> but I'm going to need to tell her she needs a black friend. Um, but yeah, she... Um, so I love, you know, I've been able to uh, help kind of deconstruct my parents' house and places that, you know, we need to get to and, get, you know, work on. And so that's fun to me. You know, um, it doesn't hurt that you know there is a great new salary with this position that allows me to save and to also splurge a little bit on things that used to really hurt my bottom line um so i ain't gonna lie about that <laughs> of course not treat yourself before you treat anybody else that is 
that is fantastic. And if I had to tell my 25 year old self again, I would have said, now this is where you need to be. This what this this is the level. This is what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's all been great. And I'm blessed and I'm very much um I I know that with to whom much is given, um, much is expected. And I'm okay with that. As a matter of fact, that's really my driving theme. And and that's what I do. That's what I do the best, you know. Um, I think helping. And um, because I get so much, you know, I'll tell you, there's a young lady who I met maybe the first two weeks at the ad club who introduced herself and asked me if, you know, we could go to dinner or lunch. And she has been an amazing guiding light, Jessalyn Lamb. Jessalyn Lamb. Oh, she's awesome. I love her. Jessalyn Lamb has taught me so much and what she thinks she's, I'm teaching her. She's teaching me more. You know, she is amazing. So, and I could go on and on by the, you know, the people I've met who are like that. There's a young lady, Alicia Ray. I think about Shaquana Joseph. You know, um, these are women that I've met through the program that, man, they're so impressive. So impressive. And I wish the world for them. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's such a, a wonderful, rich community of just awesome women within our industry and tangentially in our industry. Because like I always remember, I, I think I think first I would told you like, like Erica, I'm Switzerland. So I have one foot in and one foot out of this industry on purpose. And I yep. dip in where I want to. Um because I, I I like to sort of be omnipotent everywhere. <laughs> like, well, I think you're uh, so brave because to have that you really kind of doing it on your own terms. And, you know, I, listen, I, I think you're brave. I think anyone who's got enough gumption to do it on their own and on their own terms in New York City, no doubt, and doing it well. For 10 years. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's why you are the rock star for me. <laughs> I appreciate that. So last question for you, my darling. Um, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? I want to give everyone hope that if we continue to have a collective force, a collective voice, a collective intention, and a collective focus, and don't give up, don't let up on the brake, don't let up on the gas, don't ever stop until we get this thing where this thing needs to be. We don't need to have our children having to have the same conversations and panels. We don't need to have that. We need to be never apologetic about fighting for anti-racism policies, anti-racism, period. We don't need to apologize. We don't need to uh, explain it in a way that makes people feel comfortable. It is not a comfortable thing. I wanna give it back to the universe. I want to give it back to the perpetrators of it. And until that happens, my ask is that you work with me and others like me to make sure that this becomes a true reality, that we are walking in our own purpose. And every day we wake up, we just show up because we are who we are, brilliant, Black, and fabulous. 
Well, you know, what, did you plan that? Because it's like the perfect way to end the show, Erica. <laughs> that's my, that is, let me tell you something. That's conviction. That's from my heart. That's what, when you see me smiling and walking around, that's what Erica's thinking. Erica's thinking that we are fabulous. How dare you? What do you mean? I can't be here. I think that's ridiculous. So right. that is my theme song. So listen, I'm always locked and loaded and ready to go. Where are we go? Where are we going? How we had? How are we gonna do this thing? Because I'm ready to go. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love it some more. Uh, Erica, it's just a delight to have you on here. I'm so glad we were able to make time and make this happen because scheduling was hard. <laughs> but are we on a show? I, thought, I just thought this was us talking. This is us talking all the time. <laughs> no, I, I, I recorded this conversation, so it's going to go online. I hope I didn't name any, 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 any uh, culprits. Listen, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Laura. I wish nothing but um, the best for you. And I look forward to us really just rocking out one of these summers once we get, you know, rid of COVID. Yeah, we will be back having tacos down by my house <laughs> and margaritas yes. soon enough. Trust and believe. Yes. yes. Uh, I will put uh, all details in the show notes for folks to, to reach out and connect with you because I'm sure that you have lots of things that you can share with folks. Amazing pearls of wisdom and just all kinds of warmth, uh, warmth and goodness that emanates from you at all times. So Erica, thank you so much for being part of 29 Days of Magic. It means a lot to me that you um, were able to make the time. I'm so proud of myself and I'm proud of you and I will continue to do what needs to be done. So thank you again. Awesome. And that is our show.